Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the revenge of Simeon and Levi as we pick up in Genesis chapter 34, verse 24. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. came to pass uh, that they were all circumcised, but on the third day, uh, when there was a soreness, the two sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, who were Dinah's brothers, they were the sons of uh, Leah, they each man took his sword and came upon the city boldly and slew all of the men. They slew Hamor and Shechem, the son with the edge of the sword. They took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went out. And the sons of Jacob came upon the slain. They spoiled the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their sheep, their oxes, their asses, and all that was in the city, all that was in the field, all of their wealth, all of their little ones, their wives, they took captive and spoiled all that was in the house. And Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me to make me stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And I being few in number, they'll gather themselves together against me and kill me, and I shall be destroyed. I am my house. And they said, should he deal with our sister as with a harlot? So again, we notice that the sons were acting deceitfully. It is interesting how that, again, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Jacob was guilty of deceiving his father in receiving the blessing. He was then deceived by his uncle Laban. And now he sees the deceitful acts of his son as they make this league with the people, but dealing treacherously and deceitfully with them. Uh, and, and moving in and killing them, killing the men, taking the women as slaves and so forth. The, the sons of, of Jacob had done that which was reprehensible. Now, God is really very plain and very open in showing to us that the people that he chose were not a perfect people at all. Now, Simeon and Levi are to come into a judgment for this later on. Years later, in the 49th chapter of Genesis, it's recorded when Jacob was about to die, he gathered his 12 sons around him, around his bed. And he began to prophesy over these sons and tell them, each one, why they didn't receive the birthright, really. We'll get into Reuben's sin a little bit further as we go along. We'll find Judah's sins. We see here the sins of Levi, who was to be the father of the priestly tribe. He was deceitful. He had a horrible temper and anger. And when Jacob gathered his sons around him, turning to Simeon and Levi, he said, Cursed be thy anger, for you slew a city and all. And he was still rebuking them years later for this horrible action of theirs. The Bible does not condone what they did, does not declare it is right. In fact, their father later on rebukes them sternly 
for this thing, and they, are, they, they do not receive the birthright or the blessing because of their cursed anger and temper in which they went in and slew the men of the city. Their deeds are brought up against them even later on. And so we, we find that God is open. He doesn't try to hide the sins of men. He, he doesn't in any wise come off with the idea that he uses just perfect people. If God used only perfect people, he wouldn't have anybody to work with. And so God has to use what he can, and that's us, <laughs> with all of our imperfections. And, and so lest we get the concept in our minds, which we so easily do, that God just uses perfect people, or God will just bless perfect people, God is careful to show us that these people aren't perfect at all, and yet God chose them and God used them. And that's to encourage you because you know that you're not perfect and yet God has chosen you and God wants to use you. And so it, 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 it helps me to yield myself to God, to know that I don't have to be perfect. Yes, he wants me to be perfect. I'm not. But he has provided for my imperfections through Jesus Christ. And thus God will use me. And uh, that, to me, is always an exciting thing. So God doesn't try to gloss over and give you the picture of, you know, just really perfect individuals. Man, these guys were horrible. What they did was horrible. Uh, and yet God is going to use them to be the father of the nation. And so God said to Jacob, Arise! and go up to Bethel. Now Jacob is afraid, hey, the kings are all gonna get together, they're gonna attack me and wipe me out. And so God is saying to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar unto God, the God that appeared to thee when you were fleeing from the face of Esau, your brother. So Jacob said to his household, to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you. Be clean, change your garments. And so Jacob institutes now a, a, a sort of a religious reform in the family. Put away the strange gods. This, you know, we're going to have to really just go back in a renewal of our dedication unto God and a, a renewal of ourselves unto God. Jacob is afraid. He has been in the land now for many years. He's come back. Things are settled. And it's, it's amazing how in times of prosperity we can sort of let spiritual things slide. And, and things can creep in, and other interests that become idols in our hearts. And, and they begin to take away from our devotion and our commitment to God. And we find ourselves taken up in this delight or in, in this endeavor and all, and all of these things that come in and, and sort of rob that place of God within our lives. And so here is a tragedy. Once again, it, it brings them back to a, a renewing of a commitment of uh, come on, let's get away, you know, put away your idols, your images, your strange gods. Let's change our garments. We're going to go to Bethel. We're going to go back to the place where God met me. We're going to go back to that place and, and meet with God once more. And how many times God calls us back to that place of our first consciousness. You remember the message of Jesus to the church of Ephesus where he said, remember from whence thou art fallen. 
and repent and do your first works over. The Lord said, you've lost your first love. It was a call back to the first love, back to that first consciousness of God, back to that thrill and the joy, that place where you first met God. And God is calling him back now to that place where he first had the real consciousness of God's presence in his life. And it's a call now from God to come back to Bethel, a very beautiful call indeed. Let us arise, let us go to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hands, all their earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under an oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is, to Bethel, and the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place the God of Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. So coming back, builds now an altar and recommits himself worships God and calls the place the God of Bethel. Now here Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. So Rebekah was the mother of Jacob. And when Rebekah died, Jacob probably took her servant, her handmaid, and said, hey, you come live with us. And so Deborah had come to live in Jacob's household, and being a older woman probably was sort of the guide and all to a lot of the younger women and to the young women's servants and so forth. And so uh, she was with Jacob at this point. She died, and they buried her beneath an oak there at Bethel, and the name of the place was called Alon Bakuth, which actually means the Oak of Weeping. So evidently, she had really endeared herself to the whole group. And though she was an older woman, an elderly woman at this point, yet there is just a lot of weeping over her death. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Pandanarum, and he blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name and he called his name Israel. And so God confirms the change of character. Again, from Jacob to Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee will I give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he had talked with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it and poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. So a second time, God appeared to Jacob here in the area of Bethel, renewed the covenant, renewed the promise. And they journeyed from Bethel 
and it was just a little way, they came to Ephrath. Now, uh, Ephrath is the area of near Bethlehem. Actually, it is the area of Bethlehem. And there Rachel travailed, for she was in a hard labor. And it came to pass that the midwife said unto her, Don't be afraid, you're going to have this son also. And so as her soul was departing, for she died, she called the name of her son Benoni. Now she was, of course, quite a bit older by now. And she died in childbirth with her second son, Benoni, which means the son of sorrow. But Jacob graciously changed his name to Benjamin, son of my right hand, lest the boy would bear forever the name son of sorrow uh, and uh, all and be reminded of his mother's death in childbirth. They called him the son of my right hand. Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave. Now, at this point, you probably have a little commentary by Moses because he was the one that assembled these records and wrote these first books. And so Moses adds a little commentary here. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. So years later, some 400 years after this, the uh, pillar was still there that Jacob had erected. Uh, and so Moses makes mention of the fact it's the pillar that is still there to this day. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. And it came to pass when Israel dwelt in the land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard it. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. So here Reuben now goes in. He is the oldest son. He's not married. He probably, you know, had a thing going. And, of course, Bilhah is quite a bit older than Reuben, so she's not totally innocent in these things, but they probably had sort of a, a relationship going with each other. And uh, they started having intercourse with each other. Jacob found out about it. And it's interesting, Jacob sort of passes over it, uh, doesn't really say any heavy thing here that Jacob did about it. In fact, it just goes on to, to name the sons of Jacob now and uh, those that were born from each of the mothers. But again, later on, when Jacob is, is addressing his sons at that time of his death and the blessings, Reuben is passed over. Because he's unstable as water, he went to his father's bed. So Jacob brings that as the disqualifying character of Reuben's life that disqualified him from the birthright and the blessing. So the sons of Leah, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishkar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The son of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob that were born to him while he was in Pananarum. Uh, of course, with the exception of Benjamin, which was born there in the land. Jacob came to Isaac, his father, unto Mamre. Now Isaac was still alive. He lived to be 180 years old. 
unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac journeyed, so journeyed, and the days of Isaac were 180 years. And Isaac gave up the ghost and died, and being gathered unto his people, being old and full of days, his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. So he was an invalid for over 50 years, blind and so forth, the sad way to end your life. Now in chapter 36, we're not going to bother to go into it in any detail because in it we have the generations of Esau and they are given in chapter 36 just to drop out of the picture. But just to show you the descendants of Esau, the scripture lists their names and all here in chapter 36. The generations of Esau who is Edom, which means red, and he was the father of the Edomites. In verse 6 it says, And Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all the persons of his house, his cattle, all of his beasts, and his substance, which he had got in the land of Canaan. And he went to the country, uh, went into the country from the face of his brother Jacob. So when Jacob came down into the area, Esau moved out over to the area that was south and somewhat east of the Dead Sea region, going down to the Gulf of Aqaba, the area that later became known as Edom. And that is the area where Esau and his descendants settled. Their riches were so great, they could not dwell together. Now, one of the sons of Esau, verse 10, is Eliphaz. And one of Eliphaz's son, in verse 11, is Teman. Now you remember in the book of Job, one of the comforters of Job was named Eliphaz the Temanite. And so it is very possible that this Eliphaz that we have here, one of the sons of Esau, was in actuality one of the comforters of Job. And so this probably dates for us the book of Job, which means that it is one of the oldest books in the Bible. For Genesis was written by Moses some 500 years later, but the book of Job poetry was kept intact, and it makes Job one of the oldest books in man's literature. So the name of Eliphaz, the, whose son was Timon, and in Job, Eliphaz the Timonite, it is very possible that here is the time of Job. It is interesting also that uh, we have in verse 33, And Bela died, and Jobab, the son of Zerah of Bozrath, reigned in his stead. We know that Job was a ruler, a king a, over an area. It could be that this Jobab here is actually the Job of that book. And, of course, Eliphaz then being one of his uncles who came to visit him at the time that he was going through such great personal loss and problems. So uh, it's very likely that chapter 36, we have the names of, uh, of those involved and the timing, at least, of the book of Job and the life of Job he lived about this time, which helps you to get things now 
sort of in perspective. It means that Job was living at the same time as Jacob and Esau and, and these events. We get into some of my favorite uh, parts of Genesis as we get into the story of Joseph. And uh, I, I really feel that Hollywood has really passed up a tremendous one in not really doing a, a really skirt. They, they've done some, you know, gussied up accounts, which aren't so good, but uh, just the story of Joseph, the, the drama, the intrigue, the, the whole thing that is there is just, I love it. I love to read it. I, it just uh, is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 34 through 36 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. God bless you and keep His hand upon your life. May He watch over you daily, and may you be conscious of His presence. Not just a thing from your head knowing, but in your heart experiencing the nearness, the closeness of God. May the Lord give you strength for every trial and testing. And may you come to that place of a total reliance upon His strength, the acknowledging of your own weakness, the surrendering and the committing of yourself completely into His hands. And thus may your weak be blessed and anointed by God. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. 
Have you ever thought about this simple phrase, God loves you? This just might be the most important truth you could ever grasp, that God has called you into a loving relationship with himself. Unfortunately, many of us have been brought up to think that we need to earn God's love. In Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything, Pastor Chuck imparts years of wisdom from his own experiences, how he thought he had to work hard and deny his own desires for God to love him. But when he unlocked the secret to God's grace, this changed everything. Come alongside Pastor Chuck to discover an astonishing truth about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That it's not based upon your works, but based upon God's love for you. It's true. Grace changes everything. To find out more and to read a preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-9673.